so um i i love having a father-in-law uh later in life i hadn't had one for quite a while and he came along with julia and i'm, I'm glad i'm kind of glad i didn't know him before i met julia because i might have been tempted to marry her in order to gain him as a father-in-law is so his name is charles and he's 86 and he's in assisted living. He's in a nursing home, um, recovering from a pretty significant stroke. And it's hard. We can't we can't visit him um, in person. So I, I started reading. Um, I'll show it to you here. You can see it. The I started reading the daily readings that are part of his uh, church tradition. He's an Episcopal Episcopalian. This cost me a pretty penny buying this this thing. But it has all the the readings for the day that are read in the liturgical churches, and you just read it every day, and it's and it's great. Um, and it, for me, it's kind of my my little way of having spiritual communion with Charles um, since we can't visit in person. So maybe as a result, I've been I've been coming to these um, daily readings with maybe a more open or um, tender heart than usual because of my affection for my father-in-law. And as, as I opened the book, I just naturally think of him. And, you know, 86 in, in a nursing home after a stroke in the era of COVID, that's a highly vulnerable uh, position to be in. And just, just thinking of, of him um, puts me in touch with my own just human vulnerability. And that's always a good way to engage a sacred text. So these um, these readings have been speaking to me, especially in our current unrolling national crisis. So, um, and just lately they've been like a surprise spiritual consolation in the desolation of this resurgent spiraling white supremacy, you know, how widespread, how violent it is for all to see. Um, by the way, if you missed, um, Dr. Harold Poulier, who spoke at church last Sunday, is from Howard University. I cannot recommend it highly enough. Um, when Dr. Poulier was speaking, I was thinking, I am not worthy to untie this man's sandals. I mean, if you don't have time just to listen to it, um, drop off of this, you know, <laughs> look for it online and, and, and come back. I think we'll probably speak for about the same amount of time. It was really great. Um, but yesterday, my daily readings, um, two different readings spoke to um, two very particular things I think a lot of us are going through. I am certainly, um, the first is a sense of heightened vulnerability in the face of these dangerous mobs threatening our democracy, bearing down on DC, state capitals all around us. Michigan was a big, it's like a ground zero for that not too long ago. Um, I know if I'm feeling it as a white man in America, I, I can't imagine what it must be like to occupy a less privileged space. So I'm feeling this vulnerability, not only for myself, but also for so many people that I love um, for whom it's way more immediately um, threatening. So the second thing that I've been just more acutely aware of, and I'm not going to speak to this today, but I just wanted to name it because I think it's something a lot of us are going through, is a kind of acute disgust and uh, distress and aversion as this um, 
mob, uh, and this has been going on for a long time, but it's just particularly bad. This mob wraps itself in all this Christian symbolism. And um, when I read news stories and the, the reporters have been getting much more sophisticated, there are a bunch of really good news stories coming out about how deeply this dangerous ideology has penetrated uh, white Christian spaces. I mean, I, I want to vomit, I, and and then, and then I want to take a shower. So it's it's a it's a strange feeling of like shame by association. It's a very um, very odious feeling, and I'll I'll leave that for another time. But I just want to name that today. Um, but I'm gonna focus on that first impact, which is. Um, our awareness of heightened vulnerability, particularly in the face of this sort of irrational, violent mob dynamic that we have going on. So it, the reading is from Isaiah 43. Lydia did a great job um, with the reading, but it's such a familiar portion to so many people through songs and um, and different things. If you are you know part of the the um, world where you're hear, hearing readings from Isaiah. Um, this is a very familiar one, and it's often understood in a very superficial and, and especially an individualistic way, which is really distorted. So I thought some background uh, to put this text in a wider context would, would be a little bit helpful for us this morning. And then I'll read it again, provide a little bit more background, and then we'll have our meditation um, using the text. So Isaiah, it's from um, the book of Isaiah. Uh, Isaiah is part of, of what is called the Hebrew Bible, or sometimes the Old Testament it's called. Um, so there are many non-Jewish understandings of the Hebrew Bible and the later New Testament writings, which are also written by Jewish people. Um, and and these, this book, especially the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament, is often read with... Um, very uh, subtle but powerful anti-Semitic lenses. And this, this is a reading that was promulgated by some very prominent figures like Martin Luther, uh, the Protestant reformer among others. So I wanna just correct for that first and then set some of the historical context to our particular portion in Isaiah 43. So there's three major portions to the Hebrew Bible. This is my favorite, Robert Alter, translation, and it comes in three volumes like that, which is actually kind of helpful for seeing how the Hebrew Bible is, is, um, is collected. So the first part of the Hebrew Bible is called the Law of Moses. That's the first five books, including uh, Genesis and Exodus that you're probably familiar, but also books like Leviticus. That's in this, this volume here, the Law of Moses. And you notice that of the three major portions um, this one, the Law of Moses, the first five books, is the smallest. And while it's called the Law of Moses, uh, actually law and rule are a pretty small portion of these writings. Most of the Law of Moses part of the Hebrew Bible is stories, it's narrative. So this idea that many people have uh, that Judaism is all about this silly preoccupation with laws and rules, it, it's just false. Um, and it slanders our, our Jewish siblings. So the state of Michigan has many more laws than ancient Israel. Every nation needs laws. And as we know, the rule of law is essential for our safety. Um, besides, many Christian institutions have more laws and rules 
than are found in the law of Moses, you know, in the Catholic Church to get an annulment, which is like Catholic divorce. You need to literally hire someone called a canon lawyer. Um, so when we claim that Judaism is a religion of law, as if that's some like silly thing, that, that's really just a, a cover for uh, anti-Semitism, even if we don't intend it consciously that way. So the next portion of the Hebrew Bible is called the writings. That's the middle one here. I'm hoping you can see this because I can see my notes, but not the, okay, I see Diane in the corner nodding. That's good. Um, it's, it's called the writings. And that includes the Psalms, it includes the, uh, the Song of Songs, which is an erotic uh, love poem. It includes the Book of Job and Proverbs. Uh, nothing to do with laws. Much of it, it actually was originally set to music. Then the third major portion right here is the prophets. Notice that it's the largest of the three. Um, and the major writing of the prophets is called the Book of Isaiah which is also the favorite portion of Jesus to cite. Um, it's also the most political portion of the Hebrew Bible, the prophets, this section here, um, because the prophets uh, criticize the policies of their own nation as loyal members of nations do, uh, as well as the policies of corrupt, wicked rulers of any kind. So when people say, you may have heard this, that people say the church is not supposed to be political. Well, invariably, they are white people who are well served by the status quo of the current politics. So you don't hear this so much in black churches. And, and it's a foreign thought to the Hebrew prophets who measure justice by things like how we treat widows and orphans and the poor and immigrants. So our portion in Isaiah today is called is um, Isaiah chapter uh, 43. But here's the thing. In, in antiquity, they had very different conventions about uh, authorship. So the writings that we call the book of Isaiah is actually a collection of writings from um, actually many different sources. So the first part of the book of Isaiah is mostly from a real person named Isaiah who was a prophet, I think of the eighth century before the common era uh, during the Assyrian domination of Israel. Uh, the second part of uh, the book called uh, Isaiah, include, which includes Isaiah 43, is by a prophet, um, probably more than one, who is functioning two centuries later when much of Israel was exiled uh, to Babylon. So the third major section of Isaiah was much later still. So you would think of like Martin Luther King Jr. as a prophet who was though part of a wider tradition, um, like John Lewis was the successor to Martin Luther King, who had a kind of a prophetic um, role in our society. We lost him recently. Um, we could think of Malcolm X and James Baldwin. We could think of the founders of Black Lives Matter, Alicia Garza, Opal uh, uh, Tometi, or, or um, maybe closer to home for us, Bishop Yvette Flunder. Um, uh, we have a kind of a connection with an organization that she's the leader of. And even though, um, you know, all these different voices had um, important differences in perspective, they were like part of a, of a school of thought. And so all their writings in the conventions of antiquity could have been gathered in a compilation called the Book of Martin Luther King. 
It was just the way authorship was handled. It was much looser than we think of it today. So let's call the prophet of Isaiah 43, second Isaiah. That person is anonymous to us, which, which means that person could be a man or a woman. Um, the English writer, uh, George Eliot was a woman. It's kind of a convention in patriarchal societies for women to present themselves publicly as men in, in, in writing and whatnot. Um, a prophet of Israel in exile was this second Isaiah uh, in Babylon, which is modern day Iraq. So this is super important for understanding the portion that Lydia read. Uh, this is a people who had been subject to the violence of oppression by a cruel fo uh, foreign power, corrupt rulers. Uh, their sons and daughters would have been subject to police violence. Um, more than anything, they are an identifiable minority community surrounded by a majority that can, on occasion, turn hostile at a moment's notice and manifest in mob violence. So the Jewish people in Europe lived with this and, and still do. So in the Middle Ages, whenever there was a plague, um, minority, the minority Jewish community would often be scapegoated. They would suffer from the plague and then they would be blamed for the plague and that would that scapegoating would unleash majority mobs against them so that's that's the most important thing to realize about the context of isaiah 43 before i read it for a second time this morning here uh, the words of isaiah 43 uh, as words spoken to a minority community still in a situation of more or less constant threat, a threat that ebbs and flows, uh, may go a little underground and then it flares. And this threat is harbored in the surrounding majority community, uh, portions of which could turn hostile at any moment. Um, so this community of, of Jewish exiles they, they share a common um, communal memories of trauma, and that's part of the psychological burden they're carrying. So on top of this, um, they're easy targets for slander and false accusations. So their, their character is impugned often by the majority to justify the ill treatment they, they undergo. So they're, they're also in a profound state of psychological stress. So the prophet of Isaiah 43 is feeling the divine feelings toward these people and their plight. They're, they're his people. Um, he's, the prophet is feeling the divine feelings toward the prophet's self. So it's, it's um, all framed in intimacy love language. Um, it's words and thought forms that these people can experience as love. So the phrase, I have redeemed you pops up in the re reading. You remember, might remember that from Lydia's reading. Um, I just want to say, don't hear this through the lens of so much modern individualistic Christianity with its focus on personal salvation from personal sin. Um, because in the Hebrew Bible, and this is this bleeds into the New Testament, salvation, redemption, ransom. These are all words that speak primarily of being saved from oppression, from enemies, from real tangible hostility in this life. 
So the, the idea of an afterlife is pretty vague at best in the Hebrew Bible. Um, there's, there's nothing here or, or in the New Testament about a hell understood as eternal conscious torment, uh, a doctrine that makes people anxious about very small, like private matters. And, and it's, it's, it's basically just a doctrine that was invented as a control mechanism. So, okay, are we ready? <laughs> Let all those thoughts of context fall in, into the background as we focus on the words that Lydia offered this morning from Isaiah chapter 43. And now, thus says the Lord, your creator, Jacob, and your fashioner, Israel. Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name, you are mine. Should you pass through water, I'm with you and through rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. Should you walk through fire, you shall not be singed, and flames shall not burn you. For I am the Lord your God, Israel's Holy One, your rescuer. I give Egypt as your ransom, Ethiopia and Seba in exchange for you. Because you are precious in my eyes and honored and I love you. I give people in return for you, nations in exchange for your life. Do not fear for I am with you. So two further comments to prepare for another go at this uh, reading, which will be our meditation time at the end. First, this prophet was no not so naive to think that this is a promise to individuals that nothing bad will happen to them. That somehow this, this God will spare them from all suffering. Um, they, they will skate through all, all dangers. Um, it's very much what Dr. Trulier was saying last week, that God is with us in the midst of our troubles, not, not like putting us, picking this around them, not avoiding them. It's not when you pass through the water, you won't get wet. And, and the you here is collective. It's a communal you. It's like a y'all. <laughs> the people, the community will make it through as indeed it did. Because these individuals felt so connected to their community. Their sense of self is so bonded with their, their, the people around them. This was also a very personal comfort to them. And notice how the divine love um, refuses to prefer the majority over the minority. It's the opposite. The divine love is saying, I prefer you over nations. This is like poetic, prophetic language, not like abstract, philosophical. Uh, he's saying, I'll trade major nations for you. You're so precious to me. Jesus, the Jewish rabbi, echoes this in the parable of the shepherd who prefers the one sheep separated from the flock to the 99 who are safe, leaves the 99, goes after the one. So now as I read it again, I wanna suggest you uh, situate yourself in this text so that you can receive it as the divine love channeled through this anonymous prophet of old, um, but to you to, and, and maybe even more importantly to us, 
is is there a way that you can identify some shared experience with these exiled people in Babylon? Maybe you are also from another place and you feel at times like a stranger in a strange land with a, a longing for home. Um, maybe you're a woman in a male-dominated workspace. Maybe um, your identity, as a, your gender identity or the person that you love breaks some false gender or sexuality majority norms. Um, if you are Black in America or stand out as an identifiable minority of any kind, you know the feeling of these Jewish exiles in Babylon. But, but what if you're like me? <laughs> like, what if you're born into a society where the result, rules of the majority benefit you? Well, you can only receive these words of divine love authentically if you are also willing to relinquish some of the unearned advantages that you enjoy. So if, if you are willing to side with, to love, to stand with the people, this God in this, this text is addressing, then it's like the opposite of guilt by association. It's favor by association. You get the favor by association, but there's a price for it. it the, the, but this, the reward is so powerful. It's so sweet that it makes all your unearned advantages seem like trash. So we'll make these words our meditation this uh, time this morning. Let's take a minute now to prepare our bodies to receive these words. So if you like, and, and you're free to do so, you could settle in your chair. Um, maybe notice your feet planted firmly on the floor, on the ground. Take in and release a nice deep breath in through the nose, if you like, out through the mouth. Be another one like that. And then let your breathing return to its normal rhythm and become aware of your body. Just how does your body feel right now? Not trying to change how the body feels. You're just noticing, checking in with the body. We begin by feeling the weight of the body pressing down on the chair or the arms of the chair, or the contact with the floor. I mean, notice how your head is feeling, um, your face, the jaw area, the back of the head. How does all that feel right now? Uh, continue to scan down just to check in the shoulders, the upper arms, the chest, lower arms, hands, midsection, the upper legs, knees, the lower legs, ankles, feet. Be aware of your body. Now shift your focus toward your breathing if you haven't already. The feeling of the air expanding your body as you breathe in. And then the feeling of your body, body softening as you breathe out. Now hear the words of divine love spoken by the prophet. And now says the Lord, your creator, Jacob, and your fashioner, Israel, do not fear for I have redeemed you. 
I have called you by name, you are mine. Should you pass through water, I am with you. And through rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. Should you walk through fire, you shall not be singed. And flames shall not burn you. For I am the Lord, your God, Israel's Holy One, your rescuer. I give Egypt as your ransom, Ethiopia and Seba, in exchange for you, because you are precious in my eyes and honored, and I love you. Because you are precious in my eyes and honored in my eyes, and I love you. I give people in return for you, nations in exchange for your life. Do not fear, for I am with you. Amen.